0: And welcome back to Dollars and Dragons. Today, I have with me Andreas Walters. If you'd like to introduce yourself to our audience uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Hi, my name is Andreas Walters. I am a tabletop RPG publisher at Metal Weave Games, and we produce anything from systemless supplements, owlbear plushes, miniatures, and system content, as well as original games and supplements.
0: Well, yeah, and uh, that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of titles. It's a lot of responsibility. Let's talk about how you got started uh, in Tabletop. And what year was it? Not to date you, but, you know, I'm just curious.
1: Oh, God. Do I have to look? I think it's 2017, 2018. Oh, okay.
0: Uh, that's not, that's, that's so... not that long ago. Critical Role was on the air, right? <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait.
1: Yes, no. they probably were. Uh, no, were they?
0: Yeah, they were. I think, I think they were. Oh, God. Um, cards, Kickstarter, God. A- admittedly, I'm not the... I'm not the most diehard of CR yeah, fans. Okay, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, that
1: was my first Kickstarter project. I technically started a year before that.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so, yeah. yeah,
1: I got my start in making free supplements, one-page supplements for money, uh, for the Money Cook Games Numenera supplement, as like part of the active community. Um, from there, it became into a licensed agreement where I was able to create supplements, and then sometime after that, I think I created like five or six supplements. Uh, under the Monty Cook Numenera limited-use license. And then after that, I did my own Kickstarter, which came non-player cards, and then later the Baby Bestiary, uh, which took off and became its own thing, and that's where I started doing more independent publishing.
0: Gotcha. Why, uh, what What inspired you to get started with uh, creating those supplements, those one-pagers one for Monty Cook? Was that just a hobby thing for you, or what?
1: So it was very much... So interestingly, like when I was when Money Cook Games released Numenera, I was sort of like just finishing up college and had definitely fallen out of with my tabletop RPG group because we kind of like moved all over the world. Um, so our group kind of fell apart for the most part. Um, and so me like getting on Twitter, uh, our TTRPG Twitter back in 2016 um, was a very different place. Um, and that's when I like first found out about uh, Numenera and like Monty Cook launching, uh, like getting involved in Kickstarter, which was still relatively new on the scene, honestly. Um, this was a very, very new field of content. Um, and so with this, I, you know, Monty Cook Games was like, you know, pushing out like Numenera and like, I knew the name Monty Cook because of all the third edition books and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, like he's doing something new. I didn't actually know Monty Cook other than just like a name on the third edition books. Um, so I thought it was kind of excited. and it sounded like a cool concept. Um and so backed it year later, it released. Um, and it was a vibrant little community that existed on this website called like Ninth World Hub. And what was cool about it was there was a little chat room in the website um that, like we were all talking about. We were able to create content and as well, like chat and be like a little mini active community. Um, and I I think this was before Discord, maybe, like, before Discord really hit it off. Yeah. Um, and so this was, like, the place to be um, when talking about the community. And so this is where, like, people started doing, like, collabs. Like, I would write up, and this is where I was still learning InDesign. Like, I was, um, at this point, I was just getting access to InDesign and stuff to do stuff for work, essentially. Um, and so that's where I kind of like justified to pay for it myself, I think, um, and got a student license or whatever. So I was paying for it relatively cheap. Uh, and I was learning to use InDesign and Photoshop. And so that's where it started with one pagers, like, you know, trying to understand how, um, transparencies worked, formatting, oh, all that stuff's crap. Trust me. Um, like it's w- like multiple bot text boxes, different sizes. I would use a different text for the header. And then different text box for the body. Uh, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Um, and actually, the first book that I ended up publishing, or that the first licensed book that I put on Drive RPG, which was Ninth World Assassins, um, is also formatted terribly like that. And I got it printed through the Drive Through RPG printing process. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to open it up again, and I'm like, oh god! Like every page has like you know like, like a bottom detail and uh-huh. like all of those were manually placed right. like, or duplicated. Like, it wasn't using a template control or anything.
0: Yeah, I was, uh, I just, um, you know, there's a couple comments I want to make. Like, first of all, uh, chat room uh, community from a website. That's, first of all, that's amazing. Did it keep the chat history?
1: Ah. Uh... I, I think so. I mean, the website did die a little while later uh, uh-huh. in favor of like Discord and like because it was like uh, community managed, essentially, like mm-hmm. one person was essentially responsible for it. Um, I don't think it was. I think it was just like people were active around the same time. There was about like eight community members, eight to 10, 12 community members that were there pretty constantly, including myself. Mm-hmm. And so we would bring up ideas and stuff like that and chat. Um, social media posts to go talk about like the various content that was created there or published there uh, stuff like that it, it was yeah. interesting
0: yeah that's that's like a totally different age of the internet that reminds me of like uh, when I was on the internet like mid 2000s like when I first started you know back in dial up and like those communities were um, we were still using like things like Teamspeak as opposed to like oh, yeah. before discord came out and we were using like PHP message boards and like that sort of shit and yeah I remember that time it was uh, it was a magical time in some ways and it felt like there was a little bit better of uh, a community altogether I think people's maybe that's just like rose colored glasses looking back on it but it was I feel like easier to
1: ban someone
0: yeah 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 exactly yeah um I feel like forums honestly are better in so many ways which is why I'm I'm probably gonna look into like forums for my own discord community and start opening that because I, I i liked it better because it felt like you would actually like communicate in a way that seemed less ephemeral like it feel discord feels very ephemeral which is cool for like certain types of conversations but um i think talking about a particular topic and going I'm back and forth through it yeah exactly yeah um Oh, that'd be right. cool to convert a tread into a topic, something like that. But the problem... Oh,
1: sorry, I'm tangent-thinking. <laughs> There's an yeah. interesting design problem that, like, in Slack, what you can do is you can take a group of conversation and move it into another conversation. Oh. Uh, so, like, you can literally say, I'm going to take all of this and put it over here into this, like, conversation with this other group of people. Okay. Um, which is, like, that's nice. But, like, in Discord, like, I want to be able to select a bunch of conversations and drag it into a tread. Or drag uh-huh. it into a post because it's not relevant to the current conversation, or it's worth being separated. And right. Discord doesn't really allow you to separate conversations nicely, even
0: like yeah. current
1: or post. You have to like reminder mod reminder
0: do this. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's not. It's not very. It's not very elegant. It just feels kind of like you know, just you show up. And I'm actually kind of worried about Discord in the future because they don't. They don't have. I was. I was discussing this in uh, one of my business cohorts. And they don't have, like, a way to monetize. There's no way for Discord to stay afloat as a business, really, that people feel like they're going to for content creators. Because if I'm a content creator, and I'm a YouTuber, or I'm a I'm an OnlyFans person, or I'm just a person that makes, you know, some kind of content, um, my audience is not really... They're going to live on Discord, or they're going to be, like, there is a community. But, like... I'm already monetizing in other ways outside of Discord. So why would I move my monetization over onto Discord when it just doesn't make sense when your content is usually elsewhere, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I don't. That's
1: Discord like there's no like native advertising unless they're selling your data, which I mean that could be a potential. They could I mean not selling identifiable data but using uh der- derivatives to say like, you know, oh this is a gaming community. This is a tabletop community. This is a cuz you can use um uh, what's it called um when you you run a query on um text to see uh, what the content is oh um, okay so if you're just telling if it's like oh what's it called tag? huh a tag no there's a it's like a diffusion um uh, God, facebook uses it a whole bunch of essentially you're okay. saying like you know if it's positive or negative mm. or um what sort of content is being primarily discussed um mm-hmm. this is how like um stuff like you know how like ns not not safe for work detectors work essentially they're using okay. context and tags and stuff like that to tell whether a content is slightly problematic um yeah. just through auto detection which is how like video games tried to, to get rid of bad people before you know right. it's just strictly through um sentiment analysis
0: right Okay. Um,
1: I knew it hit me eventually. Uh, uh, so they use something like that to see, like, what what is a community, what kind of person this is, and then try to derivate those into groups. But the problem is, how is how are they using this? You know, are they, like, I can't use it for anything. Like, how, how would Discord use that to profit, like, to know right. these groups and communicate in this way or, you know, can be assigned to these various level of user tags?
0: I know I'm going to get hate mail for this, but, like, I feel like ads is the way that Discord needs to go. It's the it's the least of the evils. Like, it's the it's the lesser evil compared to everything else, like, because the only way for them to really monetize is to, like, okay, let's do some shit with AI, let's do some shit where we're stealing data, let's do something where we're just over-monetizing, like, subscriptions or something. They just need to run ads. They just yeah. need a little box in the corner for ads and just have that be that and try I mean, and the only
1: other way would be charging people to host discord servers but yeah. you know they kind of screwed themselves by opening that up already so
0: yeah um
1: because if they wanted to have people pay for managing their own discords and upgrading to access to features there could have been a chance for that but yeah. now that it's so proliferated and because it's free now they're paying the price and having you know over proliferation of channels and having to maintain that I think there was yeah. a cool thing about Twitch was that it's not the big Twitch streamers that are costing Twitch money. It's the thousands of one viewer, no viewer streamers that are actually the ones mm-hmm. costing the money to maintain that latency.
0: Mm-hmm. And also, like um, if we look at it like in that perspective, like they're hosting all of these images, all of these videos, mm-hmm. all of this data that costs money to host, and that shit is up there permanently. When you post a picture on Discord, that shit is on the discord servers forever like you can yeah. link to it if you go to open image in new window or whatever um that shit's gonna be on there and you can actually just link to it so yeah. i don't know how long I've that's that going it's
1: like oh i need an image link you know uh where am i gonna do it i'll just post it on discord and copy paste it or use yeah. twitter i used to do that
0: too just use yeah. the image link from twitter yeah i just don't know like where are they gonna get their money like it's it's they have to run ads they have to as much as i would hate it and i'm sure a bunch of people would complain about it but like there's no other way that i see that them making money maybe maybe some marketing genius on, on their side will figure it out but
1: that's kind of been the same issue too with like how generative or model ai text what is it called text generative model ai large language model ai um like chat gbt how are you going to like profit off of it outside of just charging people for special access because like for bing and stuff like that like how do you earn additional money from advertisers because that is a big pool of money that you'd want to tap into and a lot of it's like okay how can we say like oh you said ttrpg stuff are you interested in like iron sworn slash sponsored link um
0: right yeah or something
1: like that um like i don't see why not to say like hey you're interested in these solo RPGs. You haven't mentioned Ironsworn, but Ironsworn is a swell RPG solo RPG. Are you interested in checking that out? Yeah. You know, like I, I think there's a space for that, but it's how it's implemented.
0: Yeah, I just don't see how like right now they're still on that VC money. So and and they're the the horrible thing about shit like uh ChatGPT is now like
1: it's not necessarily VC money. It's how can Microsoft make it profitable.
0: Right. Yeah it's like they indeed. they mm-hmm. right they've and, and right now they're profitable because they um are they good. don't have workers rights for the people who are running it uh so mm-hmm. like that's that's the big that's the big um the controversy with it right now is that um the workers in Africa are unionizing because um they're the people who basically run chat or these other generative mm-hmm. models yeah yeah they tag everything and they move everything around and then they also moderate stuff that you're not supposed to like the the most horrible shit in humanity that you can imagine. And um, you know, I've seen some articles in regards to it. And yep. you know, every time I see like this new technology some new technology coming out from uh specifically the Bay Area, of course, big tech. Um, it's always like, okay, well, how many how many layers do I have to go into to find the human rights violation? <laughs> It's like, how deep do I have to dig? You know, Tesla, only a couple of layers. Chat TPT. not even top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, oh fuck. Like, can I just? Can we just have? I don't know. Maybe at some point we'll get a utopia or something. We just, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. the The next That's ten cool years, capitalism. the next ten years are gonna be wild. I don't know, like what's going on with our with our future. Honestly, especially with all these generative models and. How advanced yeah. that they're they are getting and um I have seen some interesting uh you know, hopeful things that like um obviously maybe the law can pause these sort of advancements until we get some proper regulation for it. But nope. um it there's some Yeah, there's so there's so many ways in our industry to exploit that and push out the indie. Like you ha- you see these people flooding drive through and dm skilled right now with ai generated content that they're selling to people and it's literally just like copy and paste from ChatGPT bullshit and like mid-journey and it's like there was no vision going into this this is literally just someone who spent two hours to produce something that would normally take a person you know hundreds of hours that they're going to charge the same price for it's it's uh it's baffling and like it's a problem for the consumer too because the consumer on some level, if they're gonna pay money for a product, they wanna know that someone actually cared enough to generate something that's useful, had a vision, and is artistic. But with the market flooded by these items, like it becomes that much more difficult to find good um, stuff. NFTs. I I don't know. It's a it's a it's a problem. I don't I don't know what I don't I don't know what the future looks like for me and like me finishing this book in the next year because by the time I ship the vineyard in nine months from now at time of this recording, like in April next year, allegedly, right. Um, Or sometime in spring or summer of next year. um, The market is going to be completely different. So I don't know like what it looks like for people like me um, creating these Kickstarter campaigns. So, um, and I see these Kickstarter campaigns that are just using AI as well, that are a clear cash grab. And I'm just so, uh, I can't, it just upsets me because I know all these people are just going to get burned. And like, um, I just, they just don't see it because they don't either. They're not plugged into it. They're not knowledgeable. They're not educated about it, but, um, I don't know. It's, it's generally upsetting. Well, I'm going to move on because like, <laughs> I, I don't want to talk. Yeah. I don't want to talk about that. Cause like, I'm, I talk about this sometimes in my like business cohort. And like, it's just, it's very upsetting to like, I don't use those programs personally. I don't think, um, Anybody using them is doing anything necessarily uh too wrong, I think it is wrong, but like it's a it's really splitting hairs with a lot of the other things that the industry does to be honest. Because for instance, like if I'm using um if I'm if I'm following like an ethical business model on my end, um as far as like paying my people well and treating them right and ensuring everything like that, Am I doing that same thing and finding that my manufacturer is doing the same thing? Am I doing my due diligence? How do you verify all of that that your the factory workers are still getting like you know uh, paid enough and then also treated well? Like there's so many things about our global economy that it's just very difficult to deal with ethically. Yeah.
1: And like for me, like I've played with like stable diffusion and those tools to see like, you know, what they're capable of and how people are using them just to one, understand how they work and what they're capable of. But at the same time, there's like no way I'm going to put that in the product. Yeah, Because one, there's so many implications and problems with it. And two, I don't own that work. Like I can't say that's mine. There's no legal way I can say that yeah um like there's a that so i I see it currently just as a tool or a toy or like an artist tool if an artist wants to plug something into that and use that as a reference so that they can do their work on top of it sure but at that point that's that's where it stops pretty much same with uh g b t like sure you can use it as like a starting point or a resource, but if it's doing the work for you then no you, like there's too much like i i had it generate for what for my i have a My sister-in-law is doing, like, trying to do my retail work. So I was like, okay, we need to generate an email to outreach to stores to say, hey, you know, this is what we want to do. This is how we want to reach out. We want to tell them about these products. Let's generate it using ChatGPT. Okay. You see it generates the email. Now let's edit it because it's terrible. Yeah. Like, if you're going to use it, you're definitely going to have to edit it because, like, it requires handcrafting still. Like, sure, it'll get you a template to start because, like, for me, I hate writing. Um, I'm a terrible writer, and I'm very slow at writing. Drifter is taking me, what, three years already. Um Now, I can say, describe this or try to do this. But at the same point, sure, it may give me a starting point, but it still not, might not put out anything I like. Um, yeah. Or put, it, put out anything in the direction that I like. And mm-hmm. so I end up doing a ton of editing and a ton of writing anyways. And now... It, sometimes does it put out something that goes, I'm okay with that. Let me run with that and edit it a bit more, you know, and do more writing, sort of like what they call um a sidekick for like the coding side of things. But at the same time, it's not really a sidekick because I'm trying to have it generate like a concept that I'm okay with, but I still need to edit it as a writer because it's okay. not saying the things I want it to say. Or wanting to say things a certain way that I don't want it to say.
0: Yeah, Chat Chat GPT for for me in my process, I think if if I were to use it, all it would do is just like help me outline badly, and then I would have to re-outline. And then I just don't. So I just don't. So I I've cut out the middleman. I've cut out G, Chat GPT, and I just outline myself, <laughs> and then I and then I and then I draw my ideas from that because like I don't know like if you wanna. If you want like milk toast content, I guess you can use ChatGPT. If you want to regurgitate the shit that's already been done and you don't have a vision and you're just producing content to sell to people who don't know any better and you're not either an artist or a writer that's like trying to do something new and you don't have a vision, then yes, it can create you uh, some information like stuff that it's just yeah. garbled up and spit out. Um like you you're a little have to baby do a lot bird of
1: curation on the ideas
0: yeah
1: like, i I it's... wouldn't be surprised for like people who run patreons that create tons of content to be like, Hey, let's just you know pull like uh, pull the uh slot machine and see what comes out and like filter out the bad stuff um yeah, but it... it's yeah, it's a mess,
0: yeah, I've seen um in in my business cohort, there's some people that use it for uh YouTube video idea curation. And they will just ask at stuff like, hey, what's the most interesting blah, blah, blah topic? And then it'll pop out like 2021. You... Yeah, exa- exactly. Like from 2019, it'll pop out like five or six ideas. And then you can like base, uh, like, hey, I'll make a video about this topic that came up. But like it's not producing stuff that um, can be cited, it's producing oh. stuff that's wrong most of the time. Um, it You're mixes. your case, right? No, I haven't.
1: Oh, a lawyer has already used it, and it produced cases that don't exist.
0: <laughs> he just literally yeah.
1: copy pasted as a brief to for yeah. a case court case he's doing, and he got he got he got screwed.
0: Well, no shit. Like I w- I should hope a lawyer doesn't do shit like that. Like that's the thing. Like it's like why would you? Oh God! Like it's no, it's not. It treats us all data the same way. So it's like, it treats fan fiction the same way it treats cited resource material. Like, oh, how, exactly. Like, how, do, how can you trust that? Like, so that was the interesting
1: thing I was hearing. Well, huge tangents, I know, we're going on. But um, I was hearing that, like, you know, so large language models are technically, you know, uh, generative text where it's saying, you know, what is the most predictable word to come after the next? Now, what I understand is that ChatGPT is a hybrid of generative model and a sort of neural network AI where it's sort of battling itself in terms of trying to figure out what to write next. Um, But in so doing, it still has, you know, a lot of authority problems in terms of like what is accurate and what isn't accurate and what to reference. But the biggest problem I see with that is all the biases, all the wrong information, all yeah. the misinformation and disinformation that's yeah. out there. It's like, great. So we can feed it propaganda, you know, or yeah. it's you know also pulling from propaganda, which is like terrifying at the same time.
0: Yeah. And racism and misogyny and like all that stuff. And you see that with the uh the image generators too because oh, yeah. it just produces women with like ginormous tits. Like mm-hmm. and it's like, what? This these women only exist on hentai websites. Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> Ah, <sighs> yeah, the internet. But yeah, it's it's one of those. Yeah. Anyway, so moving <laughs> moving on to moving. Kickstarter stuff. Uh, so your first Kickstarter, non-player cards. Um, what was that? What was that like for you? You want to walk us through like running your first Kickstarter. Um, the major things that you learned, and um, since then you've run quite a few Kickstarters. Uh, it seems like you're running a Kickstarter twice a year two year. are you averaging two a year three a year two to three was the goal i mean COVID mm-hmm. kind of owlbears and COVID kind of screwed
1: everything up um, right so yeah definitely we're just trying to run two to three a year i mean if yeah um so non-player cards was the first kickstarter project and the idea was one to create like a, a useful tool for no matter what game i played um and so i was working with as I was doing my publishing content creating for Cipher System, I didn't have a lot of money. I was a student. I was getting paid, sure, but I was also racking up credit card debt because I didn't know how to use a credit card properly or manage a credit card properly. So that was its own problem. Um, but the thing was I didn't want to, like you know, spend hundreds of dollars in a project that I didn't know was going to earn money back, you know, especially with RPGs. Like I was just doing this as a hobby. I didn't, want, I didn't want to spend $500 on a piece of art that was just going to be a one-page piece, um, like one-page product, per se, that I wasn't going to make money from. So the first thing I did was there were sort of like three different things I was doing at the time. One was I got in touch with, um, with artists to see if I could just use their work on a free basis, like a license to use to display and then link back to their work. So there was a couple pa- one-pagers where it's like, you know, artist info, website... Um, featured artist. And then there was others where I would find speed painters. So there's a Facebook group uh, I came into contact with that was called like Daily Spit Paint. And so it had like three different prompts, like Owlbear, Cute, Fluffy or something like that, Mm -hmm. uh, or Fluffy Ridge. And people would spend 30 minutes and draw whatever they could on one of those prompts or all three of the prompts. And you would get some people who could do some crazy crap in 30 minutes. And so I reached out to some saying, how much would it cost me, like, cost you? Like, can I pay you for a 30-minute piece? Um, And so I had a couple artists. Uh, Aaron Eric was one of them, Uh, Connor Burke, and there was another one, Adafa Trimata, um, or AFDA. Um, And those were the first artists that I went with. Um, One was in Turkey. One was in, um, I forget where specifically, in Southeast Asia. And the other one was actually in Canada as an architecture student. Um, and they all had like a per hour rate. And so I would pay them essentially for a half hour. And then like you'd get more detail, the more time I would pay for them to do the work. So I would pay for a bunch of concept pieces, um, which was maybe like $50, something like that, $50, to $75. Cause they were sort of doing it for fun as well. Um, and so, like, I would get like a piece or two of concept artwork piece, and that's how I did. It got almost my pieces, my like pro- early products done was with concept art. Um, and then later on, like with non-player cards, uh, I liked working with Aaron Eric, who was a concept artist, like a digital painter, concept artist that went digital. And we did non-player cards. And so he was queued up to do 400 pieces of art <laughs> in like seven months. Um, Which was an interesting uh, challenge for him, but because essentially he had to spend you know 30 minutes on each piece, Um, and so that so I was working with a couple people in the cipher system community um, to make non-player cards. I had about through two other collaborators that worked with me on creating like the lists because we were trying to create you know a systemless generator essentially. Um, So we created the lists, hashed that out, and then sent the lists to Aaron, who would then illustrate them. Uh and then I did all the layout work and um the collaborators also helped in doing the lung long descriptions for each of the entries. Um crowdfunding wise, it was a pain in the butt. I didn't have much of an audience. So I relied heavily on like the Cypher assistant community was pretty open to helping out because I was an active community member there. And that was honestly like my best start um that I could have got asked for is like community. But that pretty much got me like 50% funded because I asked for like 12K. Um, and then the rest of it was sheer hustle.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: I approached so many different blogs because that was the thing, um, to get featured or discuss or to like talk about the project, um, and just seeing like where I could get posted, Google plus Google, you know, um, that was a thing at the time as well. Um, but it was very much like finding communities, reaching out, making sure I follow their guidelines, kind of avoided Reddit for the most part. Um, and yeah, I barely made it. Like, I think we funded on like the day before the campaign ended. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time too, I was like, yeah, it, it was rough. Cause I was trying to like find everywhere I could post about it because I don't, I didn't have a big audience. Maybe I had like 200, 300 followers at the time, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, So it was very much trying to like get the word out there. And it, it was rough.
0: Yeah. That was, um, That was a while ago, too. That was, like, it was a different, I guess, it was a different time, um, that sort of content as well. I guess it just, it's, there's been a big boom with this sort of uh, content as far Mm -hmm. as, like, crowdfunding and everything else. Like, we have much more momentum now for a lot of these crowdfunding uh, uh, games and everything like that. Um, Have you noticed, like, a big difference in just the momentum Uh, since you've moved on to new projects and done more?
1: I mean, I have more people that follow projects that I produce. Um, What sucks sometimes is, you know, some people are burned by a project, some people aren't. But at that point, I I apparently do have some sort of, like, steady fan base of people, apparently, Mm -hmm. that are backing every project that I create or, like, you know, approach at conventions and be like, so what's new? And it's like, ah, shit, I don't have anything this year. Um, uh, Or not yet. but I think it's tricky because you know at every campaign there's always someone who's upset. I think those are mostly the like the funded backers who just want the re- the rewards with the extra stuffs. Um, because every campaign I feel like I fucked up on something somewhere. Uh, like non-player cards, we were supposed to do like a hollow card, um, baby best Jerry. Actually, we did implement that one fully. Baby vestiries were all implemented. Getting the art prints were kind of a pain in the butt at the time though uh in the canvases uh Atlas on Amalia was supposed to be the signed um uh artist plate uh like sticker. Uh, I still have them all signed uh but they need to be sent out to them um and stat books and then embers also was supposed to have stat books for ever for like a whole bunch of systems and I've been burned by that kind of and then Albert plush. I tried to produce things outside of the manufacturer um that that also was a big problem and then Hyperlight was just i guess not really an issue with Hyperlight. I was hoping it would fund more, but the issue with that currently is just I should have developed more of the game prior to crowdfunding mm-hmm um because people i mean also life and covid and other project causing problems right um, did not also contributed to having problems but like they're now i'm at the point where it's like okay i need to have things mostly developed prior to
0: launching just because I yeah can. yeah i think um that's an interesting point because um hyperlight uses a unique game system or like is it something developed um Uh,
1: so it started off as a cipher system hack
0: okay um
1: and originally we were going to use cipher system but licensing kind of fell through mostly because of like their timing approvals uh cost to license um this was before they went like uh uh, open srd uh so the idea was like oh would this even be recognizably cipher after all the changes i've made to it kind of thing Uh, Also, that was a valid question. And so after a little while, it's like, all right, let me just like abandon some of these thought, those ideas and just go in my own direction. Uh, So it kind of started with like a Cypher system core. I mean, energy is about the closest thing to it because I knew I didn't like how Cypher system your resource was your health. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I abandoned that very early on. And that was one of the core things that we abandoned. Um a same same with like ability level scaling and stuff like that um with the different tiers but from that point on, it sort of just became its own piece um and evolved from there
0: yeah, that makes sense um and right now you're uh are you are you delivering digital right, fulfillment right now or
1: uh right now the basic rules so uh while developing it, I took a step back and developed a basic rules, sort of like you know let's hone down everything, let's put it into bullet points and like, clear, this is how everything works, this is the rules foundation that we're going to be jumping off of and using and expanding upon, and then let me come back and put all those, like, clarifications into the core book. And Mm -hmm. so I'm right now, like, finishing the core book, essentially, um, as we speak, so.
0: Gotcha, cool. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, I see that you've got uh, the basic rules up on metalweavegames.com, so people can, in theory, download it right now, because it's free, and then play it? Okay so it's totally playable interactive character
1: sheets delve decks combat board like all the resources and tools you can pick up and play
0: currently right
1: like it's totally playable um there's only like a couple abilities per discipline like talents or combat abilities um obviously that gets expanded in the core book uh, but it's definitely more than enough for a group to pick up and get
0: started with gotcha cool um when you began putting these sort of things together, when did you start your website itself? And like, when did you start like transitioning towards platforming these, uh, these products that you're going to sell? So
1: I started transitioning my website, I think, back three years ago. Let me... Yeah, so I think what I ended up doing was I was primarily reliant on DriveThruRPG. Uh, as sort of like the main website that I was selling my stuff on. Um, changed name names a couple times because I was still deciding what my company name was back then, back in 2017. Uh, mm-hmm. I think no, I think in 2017 I finally decided I was Metal Weave Games. So, um, but from there, um, yeah, it was mostly drive through RPG. Um, but I didn't have that many products, so it wasn't really like worth having my own present, my own website. And I was mostly selling our products on amazon amazon was warehousing the product and shipped the ha- product so i was using fulfillment by amazon at the time so i didn't actually have any product to manage um other than my own Am- like amazon account so that was sort of nice in its own way baby bestiary came along and it was fulfill was it fulfilled through twe um so through the warehouse i currently work with i i think they also did some amazon i'd have to double check it's been years um, but essentially, like, I either fulfilled through Amazon for the first Baby Bestiary, um, or it was fulfilled through my warehouse. And then from there, it kind of like, okay, now I have inventory of stuff, and I need to sell it places. So I think at the time, it went into Amazon as well, and that's when it started to transition to, I need to have a website. Because drive-through DriveThruRPG is not going to sell my book. Um, and that's where it started happening in terms of transitioning to, okay, I need a place to sell people stuff. Um, I would have to go back and check. Yeah, it's been kind of weird um, how it's all developed over time, kind of in parallel. Um, and so originally, I what did I do originally? I think I had Adobe Muse as my website.
0: <laughs> um, I remember that. Yeah.
1: And so because that's what I was messing with, I was messing with all the Adobe products back then. So that was like, okay, here's an easy, like, easy way to create a website. Like, I know how to use InDesign. This is kind of InDesigny, a little limiting, but it works. Um, and I think that I used at the time, I, but then I might've switched quickly into Shopify, um, because that was sort of like the selling place to be. Um, and so that's where I'd have to check. It's been a long time. Um, but from there, I sort of like had the website, but drive through RPG was still giving me most of my profits at the, and it wasn't till like a few years ago where it was like, okay, a hundred percent, we're flipping to the website. Like, I'm focusing all my effort here. Here's where we're selling stuff, digital and physical. Um, Because, well, also at the same time, there was a period where I thought I was convinced that WordPress would be cheaper to run, and it isn't. That was a rough year of transitioning back and forth. Mm. Um, But it was definitely worth going back uh, to Shopify, because I just have too much to manage in multiple places.
0: What's the advantage of Shopify?
1: I would say, well, at least for my scale, it's like inventory management for multiple locations and stability. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shopify just has better integrated stability than WordPress does. So WordPress doesn't guarantee that all the apps uh, talk to each other nicely.
0: Mm, yeah. Whereas
1: in Shopify, if I run into a problem where an app isn't working quite nicely, like I can it doesn't necessarily like impact everything else around it. Yeah, uh, it's hard to get much more crossover error where it's like I have... And so in essentially the features I needed was inventory management, warehouse management, shipping management, and digital content. Yeah. Uh, and I needed all those to work at the same time. Yeah. And in Shopify, I can just plug in something for digital. I can plug in something. I mean, I don't have to plug in anything for warehouses. So I just needed one app to manage digital fulfillment and all my physical stuff was already handled. Yeah. Um, so, and then... The builder, yeah, it's not as nice and easy, but it's a lot more customizable in terms of if you can figure out the code and change things around or just use the templates. Um, Shopify, like, I'm paying a little more for it because I need more users' access and I have more locations and stuff like that. But like, I could probably work at the baseline level and stay there for a while. And I think yeah. for a while, like, I know I paid for three years right up front because it's just cheaper. Um but overall, I think it's like paid for itself in terms of like better shipping calculation mm. or like more accurate shipping calculation. There's shipping calculations you're always going to futz with. Honestly, I hate it. Um, But overall, like I feel like it's been a lot nicer to just manage and like not worry about it crashing or having yeah. to debug crashes.
0: Right. Yeah, that's um. that sounds like a great solution if if you're just a. You're the only one working on it, right? You're the only oh, person. Yeah. You, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a great solution. Then, if you're able to manage it, I just mean, there yourself. are
1: permissions you can do.
0: I think I can get like five people total
1: in there. Uh, okay. I think three is out of the base license, but you can get you can modify permissions to people to be like, you only have access to blog posts. Right. You know, if I needed to curate access, but right now it's like my warehouse has access to orders and stuff like that. They can update inventory if necessary they can go in print packing slips they pretty much go use shopify and do all the in all the shipping of my product because they have a category just for them so they can go in do all the shipping stuff and i don't even have to look at it
0: uh um, right it comes down
1: except if there's an issue yeah um which they do reach out to me maybe every other week maybe and there's like oh you know look at this order you know does this need to be shipped here or does it need to be shipped
0: there or this oh, okay yeah or you're running out of this um yeah. Yeah. I, I just had a, uh, I, I have this problem where I accidentally send like my stuff to the wrong address. Cause I've like lived in so many locations. So sometimes I like go through the shopping experience too quickly and I like click the wrong address. But I had a, I ordered a chair from like, and fuck these people, but like xchair.com and it was recommended to me. It was like a $600 chair. Oh damn. And, and I, and I shipped it to the wrong address And I, like, immediately within five minutes realized it and tried to cancel. And they're like, yeah, we can't change the address after you've ordered. And I'm just like, what do you mean? (laughs) What do you you mean you can't do that? (laughs) Like, what kind of business are you fucking running if you can't change the address? So I get this text from this guy in North Carolina, like, hey, do you want to come pick up your chair? And I was like, I live in Washington, so I'm like, no. Yeah, you gotta ship that to me. I'm sorry, <laughs> but yeah, it's just like why I don't know. Some at some point, xchair.com decided to uh, just cut out the middle management of having customer service. <laughs> like, oh my god, terrible. Um, I do want to talk to you about how do you work with people that want to work with you as a publisher like how does that work for you um and are you open to that in the future like these next couple of years what are you looking at as far as like future projects
1: so it's hard because i'm not doing this full-time um and that actually makes it like a whole bunch of like compounded issues of like how much time i can spend on things especially now that i have like a one-year-old son and a house and a mortgage and you know it's like okay Like, I need to have at least, like, 65, 75K to survive, let alone, you know, enough to live comfortably. Um, And to hit that, it would just require, like, higher income from, one, selling the stuff that I have, but also um, uh, making income off of all three Kickstarters consistently. Um, Because I think what I was... Calculating is I could make fifteen a k a year potentially uh fifteen to twenty maybe off of just retail sales but the problem after that is you know how do I bridge the extra forty you know and it's like okay well Kickstarter's could do that like if a Valber plush was like exceeding sixty k of goal right. that is possible but that's not reliable especially since it took three years and then freight kind of killed that sixty k um yeah but publishing wise how there's sort of, like, two approaches right now. So, like, I have a bunch of product ideas I want to implement. You know, like, oh, I want to do a parent adventure. So there's a couple things. There's, like, supplement ideas. There's systemless ideas that I have. Uh, And then there's original game ideas. You know, like, I'm there's no shortage of ideas here. Um, My shortage is time. Um, Yeah. And then there's, like, published products. Um, So I have a bunch of ideas, and then what I'll try and do... Uh, or at least been recently trying to do is I'll hand them off to someone and so I'll do like maybe a like a core design or an initial design and hand that off to someone sponsor them to create the rest of the work and then that will be crowdfunded and managed by that person so we used to we did this with paladin for incantations where I kind of came up with the idea of I want a a fifth edition um, ritual book a book of rituals kind of inspired from fourth edition D uh but made for fifth edition so spells that take longer than one action um and so i gave him the, or i gave them the concept they ran off with it and then uh paladin kickstarted it under the metal Eve account and sort of it and managed all the art and stuff like that so i had like no hands in it except for like approvals essentially um and that went pretty well for the most part um and so I would call that like a sponsored project, you know, where it's like it's my idea, but you're kind of working under my umbrella and so and so. The other one is like, you know, I see a project that can fit under the Metal Weave umbrella. Um, whether it's like a systemless, an independent, or something cute. Um, and that's really much like, can we help in terms of fulfillment and uh like can we help in terms of like crowdfunding support and fulfillment? um and that's sort of like a weird new territory because it's like what is the future of metal weave in terms of like uh, the publisher and that presence of a publisher like are we trying to be steam or like are we trying to be like are we going to take everybody in and you know try to grow this umbrella are we trying to remain focused on certain types of products um do we want separation in terms of like games and systemless? Do we want to focus in systemless? Um, I'm very conflicted on that though, Or are like bouncing ideas on. But right now it's sort of very much like I'll see a project and be like, hey, can we produce that? You know, help publish that for you? Um usually it's um project-by-project base or um to see like if that's like Hey, this seems like something that we that does well or is doing well, and that we can partner with that will look good for us and our brand. I guess uh, so. There's a little bit of like marketing brain in there, which mm-hmm. is what it is. Um, but also, like, does it fit with Metalweave in terms of like, is it evocative, inspirational? Does it fit with like the systemless branch, or does it fit within the baby bestiary branch, or does it fit within like the games branch? Um, at least that's kind of like where I'm trying to put things now or like envisioning. Um, it's kind of weird because now with like the whole fifth edition rework change, I, it's very unclear on how content for fifth edition will move forward. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of like, you know, project Valorant, it's like, yes, this will be fifth edition compatible, but it's like, but you don't know what the 2024 rules will look like. So how do you know you'll be compatible? Especially like with the playtests, they're making some big changes to each of the classes and the feats and all that stuff so like there's going to be a big rework there and so it's sort of like unknown um we used to have like a fifth edition like bucket and you know that is a profitable bucket um where like you know we had put awakened in there um we did dragon stew which was you know kind of cute fifth edition supplement i want to do a cooking book maybe not that specific one but like that also kind of was a publishing experiment to see, like, oh, we can help out. How does how does this work? Um, but, yeah, it's very much Kickstarter support and then fulfillment support. um I don't know. It's interesting because of how Kickstarter does projects that, like, we could run those projects for people because you're only allowed one project, and if you're tied to any other project, you can't. Mm-hmm. So it's weird that, like, I want to help other projects, but I can't be listed on them or I can't be tagged in them. Right Kickstarter account because then all of a sudden you're part of that project and can't launch another project until that one's done which is right. bizarre um so it's it's messy but like yeah. publishing wise it's like trying to figure out what fits for the brand I think if people are looking to get our stuff published with us I think like the, the the straight up thing would be like is it cute like ba- does it fit the baby <laughs> bestiary because that's its own brand yeah does it fit any of our systemless content? Um, or does it stand alone as its own systemless content? Um like is it a coffee table book or is it a lore book? Um, and then is it a like, and then on next to that, like we have indie games like Apothecaria, diesel which was sort of come to us through recommendation. We have Apothecaria, what else did we have? Hyperlight drifter? like mm-hmm. so then there's like a games corner that's like, these are just games. Um, and then we have, like, it, it, then there's, like, Paladin, because we worked closely with Paladin for a long time, um, which was, like, Polyhedral, which is an interview book, so it's, like, mm-hmm. that's systemless coffee table book, kind of. Right. Um, <laughs> so, like, trying to, like, enforce the categories has been tricky as well, and also just figuring out, like, what is our vision, um, moving forward for the company.
0: Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, you do have, like, a, you have a few different directions. It is very interesting, just as a publisher, you, you're so... I would say you're really broad. Like, you you have, like... Pushes. Yeah, you're very broad as a publisher, so that's... And then also you're pushing, like, you know, cuddly owlbears, so it's like, I just don't know, like, what's the next thing that's going to come out of Metal Weave games? Like, there's so much different shit going on. Because I'm looking at the various systems, and, like, um like I'm on your website, like 5th edition, Cypher, uh, Ryu, Tama, 13th Age, Powered by the Apocalypse, Forge in the Dark, Pathfinder powered by Fate, Shatter of the Demon Lord, so, Savage Worlds, Drift Engine, and OSR compatible. And so
1: those a... were all born because of Atlas. Sorry, because of Atlas and Embers. Uh, those were all supposed to be all the supplements that we were to create for Atlas and Embers in all of those systems. And that's where I meant by I got burned by systems.
0: Oh, okay. So
1: like Ryutama, we were supposed to make an adventure for the baby best for the Albert plush featuring uh-huh. that still needs to be done. I. I have it still listed, but we still have Ryutama and we sell Ryutama because we had permission from the creators to sell them on our website. Right. And Ryutama kind of fits the Baby Bestiary and Metal Weave games kind of cute, horrible right. vibe. Uh, so that kind of worked as an inclusion. Um, Cypher System, that was sort of our baseline, so we have a couple products there. Shadow of the Demon Lord, um, Rob Schwab, the creator of Shadow of the Demon Lord, actually created a supplement for Embers for us. So that was a nice plug-in because I didn't have to do any of the design work. So he did that. Uh, Pathfinder and stuff, that was in 5th edition. We do have stuff made for that, but they need to be finished. Cypher system, I need to make it finish. You know, there's a whole bunch of, like, I have a bunch of manuscripts that I need to, like, lay out and get finished. Um, yeah. But sets, it's tricky because the original idea of the systemless idea was... We have a systemless lore book, and then you get, like, a digital supplement for your favorite system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that would be, like, our way to drag in people from other systems.
0: Okay. The problem
1: is this supplement development is expensive. Yeah. Or more expensive than you think it is.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: because, you know, if you have Atlas on Amalia, that's 100 creatures. 100 creatures, 100 stat blocks is a lot. Especially if you want to make it, like, kind of, like, fourth, like, not fourth edition-y, but, like, a way where it's not just, like, we have, like, lizard folk in the Atlas Animalia. So it's like, oh, we have an axolotl, but it's like, you're not going to use just, like, one stat block. You want, like, mm-hmm. you want like the chief. You want the shaman or, like, yeah. the medicine doctor. You want the warrior. You want, you know, the tradesman. You know, you want more than just one thing. And so it's like, okay, this is in... Uh, it balloons in complexity very quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: from 100 to, like, 150, you know, mm-hmm. and... Then development, like, do you pay per hour, per stat block, per depending on the complexity? Um, for Pathfinder, one stat blocks. Some of these like legendary creatures are like two pages. hmm Um. So yeah. It's a problem. <laughs> yeah. So stat problem. blocks have been sort of like I know like people on the Kickstarter have stopped asking, but I know they some still want it or have you know given up asking for it because you know of how long it's taken. Um, But those are like, you got the book, that's the primary goal. Now, these are in the back end, and I'm trying to get them done. But, you know, other projects and other fires keep coming up that cause, you know, delays. Or, like, I would ask someone to finish it, they don't quite finish it. And then I have to circle around and finish it myself, essentially.
0: What's um So, speaking of, like, not finishing stuff or, like, working with folks, um, as a publisher, like, when you're looking to either hire someone as, like, a project manager, someone as a lead, what are you generally, like, looking for, first of all, and then, like, how does someone, like, get themselves into that position, to be honest? Like, let's... If you're, like, looking to hire somebody, like, what do you... What what assures you that they're going to come through?
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, part of really the reason why I haven't hired anyone, um, huh. and also just lack of funds to hire someone to do that kind of work, um, like... Right now, I'm only paying like myself a couple hundred a month. I'm paying Katie a couple hundred a month. and then the warehouse she bills me on her own th- stuff. So mm-hmm. um, I'm very much like penny pinching essentially because it's not sustainable uh, with the current like capacity that we're at. And then I have a bunch of money that's like hanging out somewhere else that I'm still trying to get a hold of, which has also made things very difficult. Um but if I was a look back to the original question about like if i'm looking to hire a project manager what would i look for it would probably be prior project success but every project is different as i can see from my own projects some go well some don't um i think part of it is responsiveness and action um and then i think the other part too is me being involved or having work in a place where i can collect it or uh, access it so one thing, so like for instance, um, a lesson that I had is like during COVID, uh, or like in the past couple of years, um, uh, one of the a paladin has been working on a project and he got sick and there was a death, and like a close friend death, and he's just been like out of commission for a while. And the problem I had there was since files weren't like in the Dropbox, like our write ups, art. Write-ups, art aren't in the Dropbox, I don't have access to those, I can't pick up where he left off, essentially.
0: Mm-hmm. And that makes
1: things very difficult in terms of just, like, project management. Especially when it's like, you know, oh, I see a bunch of complaints from backers, you know, or I'm getting pinged by on Twitter by a backer of a project saying, like, where is everything going? And then I have to be like, okay, what's going on here? You know, uh, you know, the Eye of Sauron needs to turn. Um, and... That makes it very difficult when I don't have visibility into things, especially, I mean, one, being a solo company, I feel like I have to be aware of everything. It's hard to kind of let go of that. Um, I know as a startup, the main goal is to surround yourself with people who can do things. Surround yourself with smarter people, which is going to be a hard thing. But I think the the hardest part is to surround you with people you trust. Um, especially when you're hiring them, right? Um, the the sense of loyalty is different. Um, and so what I've tried to do, at least for projects, is like build up a repertoire of like contractors I can trust or work with reliably or that produce reliable work, and then kind of like ping that list of people to say, Hey, I need this, who's up for it? you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so very much more of like a pool based approach a talent approach um then a project manager but i think so like for metalweave if we were to get a project manager they would essentially be running projects on their own and then i guess compensation would be based on like the projects they run because they're running it under the metalweave umbrella mm-hmm. um so it would almost be like a creator essentially it would be a creator license relationship almost um yeah. because who would own the project who would own the rights to the project who would own the distribution of the project that all comes into question with that relationship um or becomes a question as part of that relationship um if it's going to be owned by and published by metal weave games then it would very much be a creator sort of license where it's like you're essentially cutting out a budget for your time your work and all that stuff and then we are just doing the fulfillment Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and i don't know if that would be a person by person basis um at this point it seems to be um where we've worked with like you know paladin we've um and then everyone else has sort of been well it's interesting cuz like Paladin he's like done the sponsored project and he's run his own projects um we've done a couple projects where like Tales from myriad or even Anemone story where like we bring them into our umbrella but they're still just running their own project but right now yeah, I don't know. It's interesting cuz like, you know, money makes things difficult.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where I think probably one of the best approaches is something like at least from an outsider's perspective, um and I haven't been in your shoes, but it seems like what you did with Paladin is probably the best case scenario because then you have someone who has ownership and is driving the project and then you're just sort of observing and then um, you know, it and doing some supervisory Type stuff and helping when you Managing can. Managing the
1: finances and yeah,
0: yeah. And I and I think maybe that moving into the publisher role for you kind of looks like you just do more boring accounting type stuff. But I don't and know. Honestly,
1: if... that seems <laughs> to be where I'm kind of intentionally heading. Is more focusing on the infrastructure.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: the problem. So, like, I think Drifter is going to be my last big design project.
0: Uh huh.
1: Um, after that, I'm pretty much going to be writing prompts for you know prompts or project like project ideas project scoping for people to pick up and run with because it's like you know oh i want to do a adventurer's cookbook you know how to cook how to eat all the monsters you kill um kind of thing you know or i want to do a parent's adventure guide you know how does a parent bring their child on adventures and the different options that happen or how do adventures retire you know lore book kind of stuff um and like all of those are great ideas they would probably do fine as Kickstarter projects. Do I have time to work on any of them? No. (laughs)
0: Um, (laughs) Yeah. I have my own
1: idea of how to redefine 5th edition or, like, you know, redo 5th edition. And, like, sure, I could poke at that on the side, but I can't make that, like, a major project that I'm going to work on because... I don't got time for that. Um, or I mean, I cool. can poke on it with ideas and like type stuff out on Discord, you know, and share those ideas or talk about it on TikTok. But it's, unless I can like put it into writing and like get like a playtest out, then there's no point. Uh, and I my time is better focused in making sure distribution's working, making sure we have inventory, making sure prices for shipping, um, ensuring backer kits properly set up for people, making sure the warehouse is good. Um, And then working on making the site good and then integrating that with, you know, sponsorships, content creators, and getting a blog, getting our blog slash newsletter actually going properly.
0: Yeah. Are you still, are you working, um, if you, I'm not trying to get like deets uh, from you on the podcast, but like, um, so I've been working on my newsletter since like November and it's been, like, kind of off and on, and it's like anything else where, like, you just have all these fires you have to put out. I haven't put out my podcast. I have, like, a backlog of the podcast right now, actually. I have, like, something I've been, like, procrastinating on uh, posting because I have to do a minor edit. But, um, yeah, so I built it up to, like, 850 people right now. I think we're, like, pushing for 900 this month. Nice. But, like, um, but like it just takes so long. Because what I noticed was, and this is a... A problem I ran into for the Kickstarter campaign, we hit total 100,000 inboxes um, from, like, partners that were, like, pushing us, right? Mm-hmm. And it only resulted in, like, 10 sales, um, which is not good. That's a low conversion, yeah. <laughs> it's a super low conversion. So, what we have just kind of, like, I've come to the conclusion of, like, I thought that even with a lower percentage than normal, because it was in my newsletter it would still convert well, but it did not. So what I've essentially found is that your newsletter only matters for your own products. And I think that, um, it's just one of those things where it's like, it's a grind. Like you gotta, you just gotta, you just gotta make newsletter content. And then like people who subscribe will eventually, if you're providing them enough value, otherwise they will be interested in buying your products as well. It's just, Oh, it's so, t- it's so tough, uh, to like continuously produce stuff that would go in a newsletter and people would be interested in it. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah,
1: like our, I mean, I had newsletters that say like, you know, this is a monthly newsletter. Sorry. It's been six months, you know, or something like that. Or sorry. It's like now I think it's been like literally two years since I put out like a newsletter update. Um, yeah. and that's something that I I don't have time to do and I need someone to do for me, but I need to convey all that information to someone who can convey that. Uh, Cause it's very much like, you know, I'm putting out, you know, Twitter updates like, Hey, books arrived in Australia, you know, Hey, things Mm -hmm. are going here. Like those are all actionable and could be newsletter worthy, you know, or even like, let's run a sale, you know, at the discretion of whoever's doing the posts. Like I need one thing that I always wanted is to find someone who could do that. Um, and it's one, I stopped looking after a while. That's honestly one piece of it. Um, not like I haven't had enough other distractions to keep me busy. Um, and then like, not that I had more distractions, but like, you know, me being able to scoop up Zine quest, you know, that prevents presents its own other opportunity or window of opportunity to like test a different angle. Um, but yeah, very much like newsletter, your own newsletter is going to be the best. And the problem that the tricky thing about getting into other people's content is yeah, you might have a reduced um, intake rate, but really it comes down to, you know, how alike is the content um, and audience Mm -hmm. because that's where it really comes out. And that's where essentially you're taking a shotgun approach. Like, you know, I'm going to put out Mm -hmm. a bunch of things here, there, and everywhere and seeing what audience it resonates with. And it's, you know, tricky um, because like on one hand for um, vineyards, Like branding it specifically, you know, LGBTQ plus inclusive is a very good thing. But at the same time, that will turn off some people who are, you know, because it's pushing it, they're not going to. But you could say, like, you know, dark, Mr. Murder Mystery, D&D book, you know. And even if they weren't against the inclusionary bits, you know, sometimes just like not having it like on the banner like right. of the ad that they get. Yeah.
0: It's, consumers are weird. Yeah, you know, um, you know, Andreas, I actually have a story specifically about this oh, because, no. <laughs> because I came to the conclusion, because I tried, I rewrote my copy for the Vineyard yeah. Kickstarter three times. And what I found was, um, so I was trying and like here's the most horrible thing. Like the first week is so important, the first three days are mm-hmm. so important. We really underperformed. So I was like, I was a b testing all this different like marketing copy and like how do i get people in the door how do i get my google ads dialed in my meta ads and everything mm-hmm. to get people like in the door and like buy and like understand what the product is because our product isn't complex it's just there aren't really products like it so yeah. like it's tricky yeah exactly because people can't pick this up and be like oh this is a new D D book like it's not it doesn't work that same way um I mean, really now, like, I've kind of evolved to the point where I'm like, yeah, this is a campaign setting and guidebook um, with an emphasis on, uh, you know, our cool undead mob, right? And, that, and that's pretty much, like, all I really describe it as anymore. But, like, getting to that point took so long that I wish I had started that process months prior to the Kickstarter. And it was really down to the fact that I just did not have enough uh, manpower, meaning my time to mm-hmm. do that. But you have to go through that process of like how do you within ten words or less describe something to someone and have it resonate to where they can make a buying decision? Yeah. And that that was pretty difficult. And I I put out like a tweet um probably like in the middle of my Kickstarter campaign. Um, because I was like, I and I tried a few different things in like full disclosure, I tried outrage marketing and part of that was, um, like, I think it was a mistake to brand us as queer up front. Because it turned off a lot of people, I believe. Um, because a majority I, I hate of our... to
1: agree with it. Like, I, I absolutely hate it. But it's like, I, it's probably so, like, unfortunately. I hate,
0: yeah. I hate to say it even because it's like,
1: oh, consumers.
0: <laughs> it, it uh, 100% it was. Because a majority of our audience is straight. So it's like... Mm-hmm. And say so it, because like, they
1: don't initially identify with it, they kind correct. of
0: messed it up. Yeah, and it's not because those people are necessarily bigoted or hate queers, but it's like they will look at something that has the branding that is queer, they look at it as though that's who it's intended for. Yep. As opposed to like, this is a cool thing into a that new is subject. queer inclusive. Correct, yeah. yeah. So people like frame no, I'm things. Frame, <laughs> my water
1: bottle with a camera on it.
0: <laughs> um the (laughs) we just uh for the audience uh, we just like zoomed into andreas's face um (laughs) but um so yeah and it's just one of those things where it's like it's a very tricky like fine line with like most advertising and like figuring out what's the right um balance that we need to strike and when um i'm hiring a marketer for uh starting next week at some point um for those listening it's it's long since happened by the time this comes out but um we're we're gonna put together some PPCs, some pay per click ads, which are the ones that you see on like Facebook or Instagram or you know mm-hmm. um, the the other places. Um, I know you know what PPCs are, but like just for the audience, like those are ads that you never click on unless it's like interesting or something in like Facebook. Um, those are PPCs. So uh, we're gonna be running PPCs, and I bet we're gonna have to cut queer. I bet we're gonna have to cut it because that's just not where the majority of the audience is, and. Like, I can have these core concepts of queerness, like, within the book itself, but, like, leading that way with the advertisement, I don't know if it's necessarily the best move. Try your because... own
1: control audience test for that, yeah. and then try to target it specifically.
0: Yeah. You know, if I... they
1: like this, if they're associated with that. I, I don't think queer is a selectable um, selectable subcategory of users that you can find, but I'm sure that
0: you could yeah. do
1: some, like, audience querying to get to, n- to nail down that group
0: yeah potentially. I, I did I did find something very interesting though that like um we for whatever reason during our Google ads I was like yeah okay worldwide we'll just do it we'll try it we'll see what happens I had a huge amount of interest from India but wow. I had no buyers from India and I think it is because we have used um, so a lot of our aesthetic for um, the book itself we are intentionally mm-hmm. doing a Raj uh, Victorian, sort of aesthetic, which is, you know, India after, you know, colonization, um, and sort of like that, that mixture of those two, uh, cultures, um, of both, uh, you know, the, the Victorian, and then also, you know, the, the, the Indian, um, different, the different cultures in India. Mm -hmm. And, um, Aesthetically some of our ads had some of that stuff in it. So I think that people were curious, um, but okay. essentially did not uh click on it. And I also kind of wonder about like the state of like queerness and its acceptability, uh its acceptance in India. There's a big thing. There's a there's oh, a lot. Yeah. There's that, a that lot was something of something
1: I heard about that. That was, there was an interesting talk or something that I heard about queerness in India or just like homosexuality, queerness and right. expression. Yeah. Um
0: there's a lot of there's a lot of they're going through a lot of what we are going through right now in america um Mm -hmm. essentially and um and i i believe it's in in some ways it's different and i don't want to say better or worse because i don't know specifically about what the queer people are going through in india but i know that it is very difficult for queers in india right now that's the gist that i've gotten but um but yeah i yeah it's it's tough. I don't know. I don't have enough time in the day either, but that's where we're at. That's that's indie publishing, baby. I know, right? <laughs> Gotta love it. Uh. <laughs> uh, so, um, with that being said, as my voice, like, I'm still recovering from, from COVID, so my voice is a little ratchet. Sorry for our listeners. Um, but was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? We can talk briefly about owlbears and how you can order them, um, because, you know, there's not much to talk about for owlbears except that they're really cute and cuddly. <laughs> Yeah, Owlbears, Well,
1: I mean, aside from being available on the Metalweave Games website or owlbearplush.com, Um which just takes you to the Metalweave Games website, I'm not. I could build another website just for it, but Shopify. Yeah, it's just too complicated. Um, but yeah, um, it's interesting because like it did really well. I mean, I wanted to do a plush ever since the first owl, first baby Vestry project. Um, like ever since the baby Vestry hit it off, it's like plushes. We gotta like, how do I turn this into like a brand, a merchandising brand. Um, but, um, and so it was like, okay, we can do children's books, we can do plushes, we can do supplements, we can do adventures, like, I can imagine doing a Tamagotchi kind of thing, uh, or, like, some sort of app, which I still want to do, but that's its own, like, I need time. Um, like, I need time to develop a game, uh, no, because I, I will, I have monkeyed around in Unity, um, <laughs> I and I have the resources, I just don't have the time. I can't I wait.
0: I can't wait to see the Twitter post about people posting their uh, obituaries for their owlbear plushies they let die. (laughs) That's
1: why I have to do it like, it's like, oh, but if I make it like, if I do it like a Tamagotchi, yeah, it would die. But it's like, oh, if I do like an app, then at least like you can keep it alive. You can make it grow faster or grow over time for a longer period. Then I have more pixels to deal with. Then I can do more art about aging or doing different colors, you know. But then that becomes its own pipeline and development, and and in order to get funding for such, I'd have to show a reasonable amount of effort, you know, or work done, and if I want it to look reasonable, then it's going to require an unreasonable amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Well, um you'll find the link in the show notes um on the uh, on the website dollars and dragons and or the description. Uh if you want to you want to check it out. Thank you so much for stopping by, Andreas. This has been a wonderful chat. Hi, thanks for listening. If you want to support me, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com/isfriday or you can find some of the work that I'm doing at vineyardrpg.com if you want to pre-order the book that we made. Thanks